Well, hello there. Welcome to our Good Friday service here at Mitchell Brian Church. On Good Friday, we commemorate the crucifixion of Jesus. Without the death of Jesus, there would be no payment for sins and no hope of reconciliation with God. Though what Jesus suffered and went through was brutal, it was necessary for our salvation. And so we're thankful and grateful for what God has done for us and what Jesus was willing to endure on our behalf. Let's pray together as we start this service. God, thank You so much for Your love for us, Your goodness to us. Father, we thank You for Your willingness to send Your Son Jesus to this earth to walk a life amongst us, to reveal to us who You are, and to make the path to You very clear. God, thank You for Your plan to allow Jesus to suffer and die. Though it is difficult for us to look at and to face, it is so necessary for us to be able to be forgiven of our sins and to walk with You. And so we thank You. We truly are grateful for all that You've done through us, uh, for us through the sacrifice and suffering of Jesus. And so on this Good Friday, 2020, we thank You. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to take you through the timeline of events for uh, Good Friday. You know, on Thursday night, Jesus had a final meal with His disciples, and it was at that meal that He identified that Judas would be the one to betray Him. Judas left that meal and went to the religious leaders and, and <clears throat> devised His plan or initiated His plan to betray Jesus and turn Him over to them. He took a contingency of Roman soldiers and palace guards and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he knew Jesus would be with his disciples. When they got there, Judas approached Jesus and gave him a kiss, identifying him to this contingency of warriors. They, of course, went after Jesus, grabbed him, and arrested him. During this interaction, Peter uh, pulled out his sword and attacked this group trying to defend Jesus. He chopped off the servant of the high priest's ear. Jesus, of course, stopped Peter and repaired that ear and said, Peter, listen, I've got to go and endure this suffering. This is God's will for me. And so they took him uh, into custody. And, uh, and so early Friday morning, this would have been after midnight on Thursday in the early hours, <clears throat> Jesus was put on trial. And there was a couple of different steps to his trial. The first was an informal hearing before Annas, who was the former high priest. Um, he had been the high priest for years, and the Jews viewed this position as a lifetime appointment. Though he had been replaced at this time by Caiaphas, uh, they, took him to, they took Jesus to Annas, perhaps uh, kind of as a way of honoring his position. In John chapter 18, verses 19 through 21, when Jesus is in front of Annas, the former high priest, this is what it says. Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers um, and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather. I've not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. He rebutted the, the former high priest I don't know, it almost appears as if Annas was looking for some subversive message, some secret message that Jesus had been teaching his followers about how he was going to gain control. You know, they believed that Jesus, wanting to be a Messiah, surely had a plan in place to take over. And this is part of what they were fearful of. 
with Jesus. They wanted to stop Him from taking control. They were addicted to power. They thought they knew what was best for the Jewish people. And so they were looking for some subversive message and Jesus, of course, flipped the tables on the former high priest and put Him on trial very quickly. Jesus began to say, listen, (laughs) I'm not guilty of anything here. I didn't do anything wrong. What are you about? What is your agenda? Of course, that was uncomfortable and not the position he wanted to be in. And so he bound Jesus up, tied him up, and sent him to Caiaphas. Now, Caiaphas was the high priest at the time. And so the second phase of Jesus' trial this uh, early in the early hours of Friday is a formal trial that he went on before Caiaphas, the high priest, and the Sanhedrin. That was the, the religious rulers, the group of Jew, Jewish lawyers who ruled over the people. In Mark 14, verse 61, Jesus is brought into this trial and there's some uh, allegations, there's some accusers, witnesses that are brought up and they try to accuse Jesus of some things like claiming he was going to tear down the temple, you know, some stuff that Jesus had said. But of course, they didn't get their story straight. The accusations fell flat. And so, um, and so this is, we jump into this trial midway, and this is what it says in Mark 14, verse 61. But Jesus was silent, made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. This happened at night. This was not a legal trial, but they wanted to determine whether or not they had the evidence against Jesus to give him the death sentence. The only evidence they could come up with was that he claimed to be the Messiah. Now, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't accuse and kill all messiahs who, who rose up or else they'd never get a messiah. The Jewish leaders knew they needed a messiah. This was prophesied about in the Old Testament. They knew that he would be the one that the people would follow and they believed he would, rele- he would lead them out from underneath the power of Roman rule. And so they were looking for a particular kind of messiah. They had rejected Jesus. His suffering servant, um, his Uh, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's, render unto God what's God's. His spiritual, uh, spiritually deep and penetrating teaching, they did not value. They did not want to hear any of it. And so when Jesus made the claim that he would be seated at the right hand of the Father in power, this claim to uh, uh, that closeness with God the Father pushed him over the top. And they chose to use that as the evidence against him. They called it blasphemy. They said he claimed to be equal with God, which of course he did. And so after they found this evidence, they waited until morning, until a legal time, and then they briefly gathered again together and rubber-stamped the verdict they had made the night before, and that was that Jesus needed to be put to death. They bound him up and sent him to Pilate. They sent him to Pilate because they didn't have the legal power to impose capital punishment on him. This interaction between Jesus and Pilate is what I want to look at today on this Good Friday message. This message today is about um, breaking free from the chains of doubt 
the series that I've been working on through this, uh, this Holy Week, starting last week, is a series called um, Chain Breaker. And I recognize that there are chains that hold us and bind us in this life. They hold us back from being set free. And I know one thing, if I know anything, and that is Jesus came to set us free. His desire is to set you free from the chains that bind you. I know that doubt is one of those chains. Doubt is something that can hold us back. It's a spiritual chain, and it keeps us from a relationship with God. For the Jewish leaders, they were far from God. They uh, were controlled at this time by the devil's agenda. And sadly, many of us are today controlled by the devil's agenda. The reason is that we have given up on a relationship with God because of the damage of religious tradition, maybe the damage of, uh, of hurts and, and, and things that have happened to us in our lives that make us uh, upset at God or resentful of God or choose not to believe in Him. Suffering in this life causes many to look away from God. But for these Jewish leaders, I believe they had chosen to trade a relationship with God for the uh, temptation, the allure of power and control. They had grown to believe that they knew what was best for the Jewish people. They wanted to control the direction that things went. And sadly for human beings, this is a great temptation. As human beings, many of us fall into this trap of wanting to control. There's a saying that says power corrupts, and it's very true. Power is a difficult thing to handle. Many, many human beings have been given power only to be corrupted by it, only to be destroyed by it. These religious leaders were under the easy manipulation of the devil because of their allure of giving into the temptation of power. You know, there's a trilogy um, called Lord of the Rings that was written years ago by J.R.R. Tolkien and uh, a, a Christian man who had written a story about the allure of power, the temptation of power, and how it hurts the human race, how it corrupts us and damages us. There's an, uh, there's an item in these stories called the One Ring, and it is the allure of power, the ability to control the entire world. And of course, this ring is connected directly to the devil, to the source of evil in the stories. It causes much harm and damage to this world that J.R.R. Tolkien wrote about. It, uh, it damages the world, the allure for this ring and for control and for power. The hunger to control the course of the Jewish nation had taken over these religious leaders. And so the devil was easily able to manipulate them to accomplish his agenda, which was to kill Jesus. He manipulated them because they were so weak in the area of power. You know, for many, they believe that those that become a Christian, those that uh, trust in God are weak because they, have, they need this crutch, right? This crutch of God in their life or else they couldn't make it. The truth is that a greater crutch is the crutch of power and control. And it is a greater temptation and more human beings fall prey to it than do those that look to God for help in this life very interesting to me as I look at what real power is, what real strength is in this life. And for many, the allure and the temptation to control their own lives, to remain in power in their own lives, is the crutch that keeps them from God. Ultimately, for the Jewish leaders, their weakness for power 
is the same as any weakness. It has its roots in control, as I said. The desire for power, this weakness that they had, they wanted to control things. Control the outcome. Control how things went. Control who the Messiah would be. And that control has its roots in doubt. For the Jewish leaders, they had been told that God would save them. He would provide a Messiah. But rather than trusting in God's provision, rather than looking to Him to dictate the course of their country and their people, they had taken control. They wanted to manipulate what the outcome would be. They did not trust God to oversee their, their uh, people and their, the course of their lives. This happens, this same thing happens in the lives of so many people. I've heard doubt throughout my life. I've heard doubt used as an excuse for people to do ultimately what they want. Well, I'm not sure I can know what's true in the spiritual realm. I'm not sure you can really figure it out. It's called skepticism, right? Um, and the reality is oftentimes when I've seen it used, it's used by an individual to hide behind so that they can maintain power and control in their own life. It's normal to be wary of anyone who wants to control our lives. Many see religion as just a, a tool of control and manipulation. Well, it keeps the masses in control. I had one man tell me one time. You know, I know that that can appear to be true. It can look as though from the outside that religion is just simply a, a control manipulation tool. And I would argue that for most of religion, that is exactly what it is. But the reality is that Jesus came to bring something different. He didn't come to bring religion to the world. He came to bring a connection with the living God. And though we're all wary of someone who wants to control our lives, the difference that Jesus said was this, that to allow God to control our lives is to allow a good, righteous Father to, um, to take control and to do in our lives what is best for us each and every time. God's control is not one so that He can get what He wants in the world. right? That's not His motivation. His motivation is to give to us life so that we can really understand the life we were created to live you can understand god having created us the human race and created a world which was meant to be sin free and perfect and yet sin entered the world through the choice of his creation and in order to fix that in order to reveal to his creation what really he intended for them what goodness what purity, what beauty he intended for them. He must come in and get them to give up control so that he could lead them in the paths of righteousness or in the paths of what's right. See, as long as you hang on to control in your life, you're never going to understand what life is really about. You're never going to be set free to experience life as God intended you to live it. God is not a control freak. He doesn't need control to uh, have inner peace, okay? <laughs> That's not what it's about for him. Control in his hands is simply goodness for all of humanity. So I want us to look at the story of uh, Jesus and Pilate as we go through this uh, story of Jesus, you know, after the trial um, that was had with the religious leaders, with Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, they tied him up and sent him to Pilate. And, uh, and there's a reason they did this we're going to look at, but there's three principles I want us to see from Jesus' interaction with Pilate. He goes before Pilate, the Roman ruler uh, for the region, 
And, uh, and Jesus has an interesting, interesting interaction that I think we can learn from. And ultimately, I hope for those of you that are still bound up by the chains of doubt, it'll help to set you free. The first principle we can draw from Jesus' interaction with Pilate is this. Acknowledge a spiritual reality. Acknowledge a spiritual reality. In John chapter 18, Jesus is in front of Pilate and Pilate began to question Jesus. He asked him initially, are you a king? Are you king of the Jews? Jesus said, listen, is this a question you want to know the answer to? Or did someone else tell you to ask this question? And so they get into this banter back and forth and finally Jesus acknowledges that he's a king. And and so in John chapter 18, verse verse 36, um, Pilate asks him about this kingdom and, and this is what Jesus says. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate is a man, a practical man. He's a man and he's a man in charge. Pilate deals with earthly realities. And Jesus takes him to a spiritual conversation very quickly. So many people in our world only want to acknowledge a sensory-based reality. What can I smell, taste, touch, feel? What is it that I can experience with my senses? That's all that I can count on. That's all I can know for sure exists. And like Pilate, they don't understand a spiritual reality. They don't often want to acknowledge the reality of it. And yet I would argue to you today, if you're one of those people, that a spiritual reality, there's as much evidence for that as there is for anything else. You see, if you're to pull all of humanity, if you're to ask all of humanity, somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 to 85% of people would say that there is a God, there is a spiritual reality. That is evidence for its fact. You don't, need to be, uh, you don't need to be a person that understands all of it okay, to acknowledge that it exists. You yourself, regardless of who you are, have sensed things. You've sensed the presence of spiritual reality. You know that there's more than just what is physical. I would encourage you that that's the first step acknowledging the reality of the spiritual dimension is the first step in this process. And Pilate needed to do that. (laughs) Jesus confronts him with the spiritual reality. He says, my kingdom's not of this world. It's of another realm. This makes Pilate curious. The second step I want to encourage you uh, to take to work through this process of breaking free from the chains of doubt is this. Do the work to find the truth. Do the work to find the truth. John 18, verse 37, Pilate continues and he says, Pilate said, so you are a king, right? Um, Pilate looking for something to latch on to here, looking for some facts in this case that he can, uh, that he can take to the bank, that he can grab onto to make uh, a judgment, make a determination about what needs to be done. Well, Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Do the work to find the truth. It's interesting here. Pilate claims skepticism. He claims not to really know what truth is. And yet Pilate, a man who has to rule over men, over soldiers, he understands what truth is. He's had to make judgment calls all the time 
He has to determine what is right all the time. And yet he pretends in this case he doesn't know what truth is in the spiritual realm. I want to encourage you. It takes some work to know what the truth is in the spiritual realm, and yet it is discernible. Jesus says, listen, if you love truth, you're going to love what I have to say. You're going to be able to identify that what I'm saying is right. Discernment is something that many, uh, many of us have. Many of you know how to ex- succeed in a physical life. You know how to build a business, provide for a family. You know how to get married. You know how to have kids. You know how to do all the stuff in this physical realm in order to succeed or to make it. And yet pre- you pretend as though you can't tell what the truth is in the spiritual realm. Well, I'm going to encourage you with something. It does take some work. You have to get off the couch and you have to get involved. You have to engage. You have to start to ask questions and read and, and discover. And so I want to give you some steps to take. All right? If, you're going to take, if you would take my challenge, which I know most of you won't, <laughs> you'd rather sit where you're at in comfort. But I'm hoping to make you uncomfortable today. I hope this virus has made you a little uncomfortable so that you're willing to step out of your comfort zone and start to engage the spiritual reality. Acknowledge it exists and begin to do some work to discover what's right in the, sp- in the spiritual realm. So let me give you some steps, real practical steps to take. I'm a simple guy and I believe in simple steps, but they're important ones and they will work. Number one, do your research. It amazes me how many people in this life use the tactic of spinning arguments. They're quick with words. They're, they're a good debater. And so they try to use those tactics to avoid accessing or engaging or acknowledging spiritual truth. You can hide behind uncertainty. I can't know. Skepticism. You know, it's a great crutch, but that's all it is. It is an unwillingness to get in and do the research and to look into things. I've run into so many people in my life that say, you know, all religions are the same. They all lead to the same place. They're all essentially teaching the same thing. Can I tell you something, honestly, (laughs) that when you say that, all you're doing is showing your ignorance? Unfortunately, that's just an admittance that you've never looked into any of them. You've never done any research. And the reason I know that's true is that if you ask any adherent to any one of the world's religions, they will tell you that it's very different from the rest of them. Because when somebody has done the work to investigate and to make a determination as to what to believe, right? They have done the work to determine what they believe and what they think is true. Okay, They're going to acknowledge that they made a choice because they think the others are wrong. Don't hide behind that. Don't try to use that fancy argument. Well, they're all basically the same. No, they're not. They all teach very different things. Jesus said, listen, if you like truth, you're going to love what I have to say. Do your research. Get to work. Start reading. Start looking into it. Do the work of discovery. This is important. It's the only way you're going to start to discover what is true in the spiritual realm. Second step, don't let fear stop you. Don't let fear stop you. I'm convinced that for many people, the fear of losing control is what dictates their life. And I can just tell you that the fear of control or losing control is a horrible master. It will keep you from experiencing what real life is all about. You think the only way you can be happy in this life and content is to maintain control, is to be able to do what you want. And you know that if you're to engage this idea of spirituality and God and religion, that you're going to have to, at some point, you're going to be asked to give up control. And so you're afraid of that. And it's that fear that keeps you from engaging God and looking into what is the truth 
in the spiritual arena. Jesus said something really important. He just said this as a point of fact. In, in Mark chapter 8, he said this, and what, do you benef- or, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Jesus acknowledges the spiritual truth. You are not just a physical being. You are a complete being, and part of you, the part of you that's inside, that's deep inside, that's the core of you, is your soul. Your soul will live for all eternity. What good does it do you? What real profit is there? What real benefit is there to you if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? And so to engage in this arena, to let go of the fear that has gripped you, and to begin to look into the into spiritual things to begin to engage to do your research to start to look to ask questions is the way to be set free from the from the bondage to doubt there's a man named josh mcdowell he's a spiritual leader uh, and, a, and a leader um, in the christian church and i i've had the privilege of hearing him speak and read books that he's written over the years just a powerful powerful follower of jesus a powerful teacher but his story is amazing you know he grew up in the midwest And he says that when he was young, he began to have these questions about life. They just drove him nuts. You know, why am I here? What's my purpose? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? And and so he began to pursue answers to these questions. And, And the first thing he did, he said, everyone around me was going to church. People just got involved in church. This was part of their life. He lived in the Midwest in the Bible Belt. And so he he got involved in church. But he said it didn't work. I didn't feel any better. It didn't give me any answers. It didn't help me along my journey to finding the purpose or the reason for my existence. And so he said, I, I, I'm a practical guy. He said, I was raised in the Midwest and if something doesn't work, you chuck it. And so he chucked it and he went after other things in life and uh, graduated high school, went to college and he was very intelligent, very bright young man. And so he, be, he began to pursue a law degree. And while he was at college, he said he fell into this routine of pursuing uh, his degree, which he was very good at. And so he would do the work during the week, but he was miserable. He said, I was miserable. I wasn't happy. I wasn't getting any closer to discovering why I was here. And so he said, I would uh, endure Monday through Friday, looking forward to the weekend when I drink it up and party and numb myself from the pain of the misery of not knowing why I was here. He was succeeding, he was doing very well, but it wasn't working. And he's honest enough to acknowledge it as he looked back at his life. Well, interesting thing happened as he was on this college campus. He saw a group of individuals, about eight to ten of them, a couple of teachers and students, and he said, they were different. I saw they had something that I didn't have. And so he went to them, he started to talk to them, and they challenged him to look into the claims of Jesus. They said, go ahead, look into it, see what you think, examine the evidence And so he took their challenge. He said, really, in part, I just wanted to prove him wrong. And so he started to do some research. And over a year period, he dug into and delved into the claims of Jesus, into the evidence. He read all kinds of books. He did all kinds of research. He looked at the Gospels. He looked at what Jesus said, what he did, the stories about him. And he just began to compile this this evidence. He did all this research. He even went overseas and he did some studies in Europe uh, as a part of his education. He was over there. And so he said, I did all this research. And at the end of it, He said, I came to a very interesting conclusion. He said, I had to admit that Jesus Christ was more than a carpenter. He was all he claimed to be. He said, not only did my research turn me around intellectually, it also answered the three questions that started me on my quest for happiness and meaning. 
He, say, he goes on to say this, you would think that after examining the evidence, I would have immediately jumped on board and become a Christian. My mind was convinced of the truth. I had to admit that Jesus Christ must be exactly who he claimed to be. But in spite of the abundant evidence, I felt a strong reluctance to make the plunge. There were two reasons for my reluctance, pleasure and pride. I thought becoming a Christian meant giving up the good life and giving up control. I couldn't think of any faster way to ruin my good times. I was really miserable. I was, walk, I was a walking battlefield, internal conflict and torment. My mind was telling me that Christianity was true, but my will was resisting it with all the energy I could muster. Then there was the pride problem, he says. At that, uh, at that time, the thought of becoming a Christian shattered my ego. I had just proved that all my previous thinking had been wrong and my friends had been right. But I couldn't let go of the problem. I had to do something before it drove me out of my mind. The last principle that I want to encourage you with, which with Josh McDowell had to struggle with, is this. Drop your pride. Drop your pride. Josh had to give up the pride of control and power. For so many, this keeps us from coming humbly to Jesus. We hold on to the internal idea that by maintaining control of my life, I'm going to be happy. Well, can I encourage you with this? This is a principle in life. This is a true statement that the first step to getting help is to admit that we have a problem. Some of us just need to come to that place. After years of going in the direction we want to go in, of fighting to control our own lives, the fear of giving up, the fear of engaging the spiritual realm, it's time to let all that go. It's time to move forward. Don't be held back by the chains of doubt any longer. The last principle that I want to draw from the story of Pilate and Jesus is this. Listen to those who love you. Listen to those who love you. In Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 27, verse 19, Pilate is uh, engaged in, uh, he's already put Jesus on trial. He's asked him his questions. He's made a determination. He went out to the Jews and said, I don't find any fault in this guy. He didn't do anything wrong. The Jewish leader says, yes, he did. He's guilty. You've got you've to put him to death. And so Pilate finally uh, washes his hands. He says, I don't have anything to do with this. Uh, he's about to make a judgment, all right? And in Matthew chapter 27, verse 19, it says this, just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible night, a terrible nightmare about him last night. Sometimes we've got to listen to those around us. Pilate's wife had a connection into the spiritual realm. She didn't necessarily know who Jesus was, but she knew that her dream meant something. She, had, she was connected to the reality of spiritual things. She didn't have all the truth figured out. She didn't necessarily know who Jesus was, but she knew he was innocent. She knew that her husband shouldn't sentence him to death. Pilate, of course, didn't listen because he didn't trust her. He didn't have any idea of what truth was in the spiritual realm. Some of you have people that have been praying for you and talking to you for years, for decades. They've been trying to tell you, come to Jesus. Come on, man. Uh, just trust in him. Just put your faith in him. Just look into it. There's life here. There's hope here. You need him so badly. They love you, and they're just, they're just trying so hard to reach your heart, yet you've rejected their attempts over and over again. Sometimes we just need to listen to the people around us, the people that love us, that are trying to help us. You know, Pilate's wife tried to throw him a lifeline. 
She knew that he was going to do something he would regret forever. She tried to stop him, but he went ahead. Pilate was guilty of crucifying Jesus because he wouldn't break free from the chains of doubt. He wouldn't take the step to engage. I want to call you this Good Friday 2020 to break free from those chains. Don't be held in bondage any longer to the chains of doubt. I pray that you would not make the same mistake Pilate made. You know, you never know when you're going to uh, encounter a situation where spiritual knowledge and a connection to spiritual things is important. Some of us are parents and we have children and they're asking spiritual questions. And some of you don't know the answers. You don't know what to tell them because you've never engaged this arena. You just continue to stay outside of it and walk through life and, and kind of just maintain control and, and just do your best. But you know they have questions. You know they want to know. They're looking for direction. They're facing difficulties. They're facing problems. And you don't know, how to, you don't know what to tell them. You don't know how to help them. Listen, you can break free from that. You can step into the spiritual realm and begin to learn and grow. The Bible says that one day we're all going to die and face our Creator. And if you know the truth and if you have any discernment, you know that's true. You're going to stand before God someday. And can I tell you that claiming to not know what to believe is not going to be enough in that moment. Pilate sent Jesus to be crucified. We learn about crucifixion from studying the history of the Roman Empire. We know that it was a cruel, cruel, torturous death. It was meant to strike fear into the hearts of Rome's uh, enemies and those that they were putting under their subject, subjugation and ruling over. It was meant to keep people in fear. Crucifixion was a brutal, torturous death. Nails were put in Jesus' wrists and in His feet. The, the, they were placed in such a way that they could hold up His body as He was suspended in the air on this cross. And so, of course, He bled uh, and was in excruciating pain as He hung there on the cross. But you know, the real cause of death in crucifixion was suffocation. The subject, the victim, eventually lost strength to push themselves up on the nails so that they could breathe. And eventually they suffocated and died. This is why the Roman, uh, the Roman soldiers would come around and break the legs of those victims that were being crucified so that they would die eventually. It was a merciful act to break their legs so that they would suffocate and die and and the torture would stop. And so Jesus hung on this cross, a cruel, cruel death. And the truth is that Jesus endured this physical death for you. He endured it for you. Not only did He die physically, but the Bible tells us that God placed on Him the sins of the entire human race. He suffered physically, but more excruciating was His spiritual suffering. When God placed on Jesus, His Son, who was sinless, He placed sin on Jesus and turned His back on Him. And Jesus suffered in that moment more than any of us could understand. The reality is that because of Jesus' death, because He was willing to take on Himself your sins and my sins and the sins of the world, that allows God to justify us or make us right. The Bible says when we put our trust in what Jesus did for us, our sins can be wiped away. They can be forgiven because they've already been paid for. 
But in order for that payment to apply to my sins and to your sins, we must make a choice. We've got to put our faith in what God has done for us. Giving up control. Acknowledging that we can't save ourselves. It's the only way that we can stand before God someday and endure that judgment. Because the only answer when we stand before God is to say, I cannot, I don't have any answer for the sin that I've done, but I put my faith in what you did for me through Jesus on the cross. This is the only hope we have of salvation. Can I tell you that engaging God and pressing in to Jesus, doing the work to discover what Jesus has really done, who he really was, the truth that he spoke, to discern this, to discover it, to, to check it out. And, and I would just encourage you, I'd put, I, I put Jesus up against any of the world religions, any other belief system. Uh, it's fine. Look into all of it. I know that if you do and you're honest about it, you're going to discover that Jesus is the one true God and that he did die for your sins and that he was who he claimed to be. Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 6 says this, Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And when we thought his troubles were a punishment, or, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for the sacrifice you made on our behalf. On this Good Friday, we commemorate Jesus' death through, through crucifixion. We remember what he has done for us, the sacrifice he made on our behalf. Though salvation is a free gift to us, it was not free. It cost you everything. We acknowledge that today. Thank you so much for your willingness to sacrifice on our behalf. I pray for each person listening to this message that you would prompt them, you would pull them, you would stir in them a willingness to look into who you are, to engage this idea of a spiritual reality, to begin to discover the truth so they can be set free. Thank you, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.